and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Today, more lessons from the ancient church at Philadelphia. And now, with this message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. So there's vindication, there is evacuation, and third, there is habitation. They could expect habitation, making a new home, habitation. Let's see, verses 12 and 13. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The first thing to notice in this promise of habitation is that it's for he who overcomes. And we've said previously that John in 1 John 5, 4 defines the person who overcomes. It's not the super spiritual Christian. It's the truly born again Christian. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God, that is born again, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So if you've placed your faith in Christ for your salvation, you are an overcomer. Now live like one. So it's he who overcomes, second, will be made a pillar in the temple of my God. That to me, when I studied it out, says that that person can look forward to unshakable standing before God forever. An unshakable standing and acceptance before God forever. Jesus says of these people, these overcomers, who will have a new habitation, that I will write on him. That means Jesus, he will seal them with his name put upon them, and he will confer to them his character and his undisputed ownership. I've never been a ranch, around a ranch. I'd love to be around a ranch. If any of you can get me to a ranch, I'd like to see how a ranch works sometime. But I understand one of the ways that a ranch works is you take a brand, and you brand the hind quarter of the bull. You put your mark of ownership on that animal. Jesus one day is going to put his name on you if you're saved to say that you are undisputably owned by him for eternity. Going on, he says that this person, this overcomer in a new habitation will not go out from it. This is another way of saying what was previously said, that this person will have an unshakable standing before God forever. Now he says something about the name of my God. I wish I could tell you which name of God is in view here, but the scriptures don't tell me, so I'm not going to speculate. It's a name that we haven't been given revelation of as what it is, but it will be placed upon you and me in heaven. Furthermore, the, this name of the city of my God, and we know from Revelation 21, 1-4, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem will descend into the new earth. So this city with the name of my God, we know from Revelation 21, 1-4, is the New Jerusalem. We know that. You know, there were two missionaries, a couple that served Jesus years and years and years ago. And they went to the foreign field in Africa. They buried two of their children there. 
Their other child grew up and came back to the States and pursued other ministry. But when they were near retirement, they came into the port of New York City on a boat. Remember, this is years ago. And as they got off the boat, they were looking in the crowd of waving hands and faces for someone that was welcoming them. Someone from a supporting church, perhaps, or anyone. And as they looked over the sea of welcomers, they didn't see one person that they knew. And the wife began to cry. Her husband, knowing what was going on, put his arm around her and said, Ah, but we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And neither are we. We have mailing addresses, but they're not our real homes. We have passports, but they aren't indicative of our real citizenship. We aren't home yet. And like the ancient church of Philadelphia was longing to be home with a new habitation, we should too. A new habitation. Would you stand with me? As I was trying to wrap up this teaching, I was again wanting to come to some takeaways for us to have from God's word. And I was trying to make it uh, memorable, and I think this is a little corny, but put up with your Canadian pastor. I always get teased about saying A, right? E-H. By the way, you all say huh. So, you know, don't get too high and mighty. I say A, you say huh. But anyway, think of this. This takeaway is three parts, and it comes with the letters V-E-H. V-E-H. So it's kind of like a Canadian who goes to Brooklyn and says, they. A Canadian in Brooklyn says, they, this is they. Ready? V is for vindication. One day, you will be vindicated by Jesus. You don't have to vindicate yourself. In fact, we are to resist vengeance. Romans 12, 19 is clear on this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. You want to see vengeance? You want to see vindication? Leave it with the Lord. He may vindicate you tomorrow or he may vindicate you way in the future, but he will vindicate you. Second, V is then E. E is this evacuation. I would suggest that we preview the fact that we're going to be raptured one day when nobody expects it. When we wrote up our will before our children were saved, I told you this before, we went to an attorney and we went through all the um, plans of how our assets would be dispersed and so on and so forth. And then we said, if Beth, I said, if Beth and I ever go suddenly missing without explanation, we've been raptured. The lawyer said, pardon? I said, we've been raptured. We've been gathered up, caught up to meet Christ in the air in the twinkling of an eye. And if we aren't around, it's not that we've abandoned our kids. We've just been raptured. So we want to put in our will that one of our unsaved family members that we previously agreed with is going to watch our children when we're gone if they're not saved yet. How do I write that in? I said, find a way. You're the lawyer, 300 bucks an hour. You figure it out. And we did preview to somebody that the rapture is something you believe in and you're going to be a part of. Do it. It's a witness. You want to get to talking about Christ? That'll get into it. They, vindication, evacuation, and habitation. You know, when uh, we have financial planners 
help us to get ready for retirement, they tell us to pay ourselves first, right? They say out of all our income, set aside a percentage that we're paying ourselves first, investing it in sound investments for our retirement down the road, right? In other words, we're sending part of our income ahead for our future in retirement if we don't go to be with the Lord before retiring. Do this with heaven. Send things on ahead to heaven. There's only two things I think we can take to heaven. One is the word of God because it stands settled forever in heaven. And the other thing we can take with us to heaven are the people God uses us to lead to salvation in Christ. Send it on ahead. When you make choices about finances and money and giving and tithing and all those things, it's sending it on ahead for eternal reward. Jesus was real clear about it. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Now watch. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that our hearts follow our debit cards. Our hearts follow how we spend our money. You want to pray more for the missionaries? Give more money to the missionaries. Our hearts follow our treasures. Jesus said so. Hymn writer said it. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to talk about Jesus and relationships. And first of all, one thing that we need to understand is that we're all involved in relationships. The question becomes for each of us is how are we in those relationships? How are we trying to make those relationships better? What is going on in them relationships? And a lot of times when people talk about relationships, we're not talking about a boyfriend, a girlfriend, husband and wife. We're talking about just any type of relationship where it's friends, with family members. And you see in our country today, we are having a lot of problems because relationships have broken down. You see too many times in our country, we don't deal with the conflict and the anger that we have in different relationships. In fact, as we know, our murder count is always high because most of the time it's because of relationships going bad. And today we want to talk about what God's Word says about relationships. And I think so many times in, in our relationships, for those who are listening and call ourselves believers, we need to recognize that, first of all, Jesus, God himself, needs to be the center of any relationship. You see, in relationships, no matter how we look at it, we're going to have conflict because when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with sinful people. Because we all struggle with sin, and so we all want our own way. And this morning, we want to talk about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about anger. How Jesus told us that even when we have something against our brother or sister, we need to make things right because if we don't act on it, we have already committed murder in our heart. We've already shown that. And I think as we think of our country, this is a problem that we have today because there are so many people that are just angry at each other, and sometimes they don't even know why they're angry. And as you consider yourselves in school, there are people in school that you don't like. But the question becomes, 
do you hate them? Because let's be honest, we don't get along with every person that we come in contact with. There are some of us who like sports who, you know, we would like to be with people who like sports. There are some girls who like shopping and makeup and things like that. They want to be with people who love those type of things. But what happens in these relationships when conflict comes into play? And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. So we see in the, in the context here that Jesus goes back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments, do not murder. And we know this is a commandment that for a lot of us, for, for people who have grown up in the church, we have heard this commandment over and over. And when we think of murder, we think of someone taking another person's life, whether, whether it be through shooting or stabbing or whatever it may be, but they have taken another person's life. And we think, oh, that's the act of a murder. But Jesus goes on further as he's, as he's dealing with relationships, but he, and he wants us to understand as we consider relationships that we come in contact with every day, he says this, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. You see, Jesus makes it very clear that if we are angry, if we have something against our brother or sister, we need to make sure that we deal with that anger. You see, too many times in our lives, we are angry at different things and different people, and we allow anger to just fester in our lives and it festers in our relationships, where what happens is someone just has a burst of anger on somebody and things are done that we would wish wasn't done. I'm sure we can all recount a time in our lives when we have told someone something that we wish we could take our words back, and we may not even have been angry at that person, but because of things that are going on in our lives, we lash out at people. You see, this is what happens so many times in, in the church today, that we allow ourselves to be so angry at people that we don't get to know other people. We don't get to mend those relationships. But also Jesus says, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. You see, this is something that we all have problems with because People insult people because it makes them feel better. It makes the individual who's insulted feel better than that person. And we like to call people names. We like to put people down because in a, in a way it makes us feel better about ourselves. But Jesus makes it very clear that this is not how we're supposed to be. We are not supposed to insult our brothers and sisters, but we are supposed to lift them up. We are supposed to be there for them. We're supposed to help them. And I would challenge you as you consider relationships that you're involved in with friendships and people who are in your life. I want to ask you a question. Do these friendships make you a better person? Or do they make you a person that no one wants to be around? You see, as a, as a young person listening to this morning, I'm sure we all have those relationships who our parents would say, you know what, John, I would rather you not hang out with Bob. Or Sarah, I would not rather you hang out with Amy. And your parents give you reasons why they don't want you hanging out with this person. And for a lot of, of, of students, you think to yourself, well, they, don't, they just don't know, you know, they don't know what's going on in my life, and so I'm going to hang with so-and-so anyway. But what happens a lot of times in these relationships is you see as you get hurt from those people and you see what type of person that person makes you. And I think that as I consider my life growing up as a teenager, I remember that they were my church friends and they were my school friends. And those people that 
lifted me up and those people who I had to be a whole different person around. And my school friends were people who I had to be a completely different person to be accepted. And I want to challenge you this morning as you consider this. If you have to change the way you are to be accepted by someone, then maybe you need to ask yourself, is that relationship really for me? Because you see, in relationships, we need to understand that God wants to be seen in our relationships as a believer. God wants to be the center of our relationships. And you see, with all the negativity going on around us, we don't need another negative person in our lives. You see, you could be, uh, you know, have the life of of a, a good Christian person come to church and do all these different things. But negativity is going to come at you in all sorts of different directions, whether it be in school, whether it be at home, wherever it is. And we need to understand that God is saying that we need to make sure that we have strong relationships to fall onto. You see, no one wants to be alone. We need relationships in our lives to build us up. We need people in our lives to build us up because what happens is when we insult people and we put people down, you know, Jesus says, whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. You see, we need to make sure that the relationships that we are in are honoring to God and we've allowed God to, to be seen and let God be manifested, let God be the center of those relationships. You see, as a born-again believer, it's, it's hard because in today's society, the world teaches us so many different things, and this is how we're supposed to be. This is the type of person you want to be. You want to be the most popular. You want to be the best athlete. But the question becomes, if we have all those things and we don't have a relationship with God, what does it matter? Again, Jesus starts up in this passage talking about do not murder. And we will pick up the next time as we consider as Jesus talks about with people who are basically, before they even commit any act of murder, they've already committed murder in their heart because they have hated a brother or sister. They have hated someone. And he's going to make it very clear to us what we need to do. So I would challenge you to come back next week as we pick up where we left off, talking about how Jesus is telling us that we need to deal with this anger and how Jesus is telling us that what we need to do as brothers, believers in Christ. And now, today's personal God story. Recently, Pastor Rob had the opportunity to have the youth director from the Bahamas God Parent Center, Audra Darvel, in the studio to share her personal God story. We now resume from where we left off last week. There's two kinds of guilt. There's legitimate guilt and there's illegitimate guilt. Uh, illegitimate guilt is when we have confessed homo legeo, a sin. God has promised us forgiveness, granted us forgiveness. And then we uh, have the adversary, Satan, nag at us. Did you really confess properly? Uh, did God really hear you? Did Christ really die for that sin? Are you really free mm -hmm. uh, from regret? Is that legitimate freedom? So on and so forth. And uh, that's false guilt. And that's a tool of Satan to rob us of our focus mm -hmm. and our purpose and our peace. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there is such a thing, of course, as legitimate guilt when we sin and we haven't yet dealt with it by um, homo legeoing or uh, confessing it to the Lord and receiving legitimate forgiveness. It's like we used to have a stove that had a glass top and the front, the top elements of the stove, you couldn't see them. Mm 
and it just was this pretty glass top, black glass. And uh, the thing was, if you use the burner, you didn't know really if it was still hot. So there was a light, you know, in one of the four positions on the front of the stove. And if the light was on, it was still hot, mm-hmm. although you couldn't see that otherwise. Right. Well, I needed some Cheerios on top of the 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 cupboard on top of the stove, and I didn't notice the light was on one of those burners, mm. and I put my hand gently on the glass top of the stove to reach the Cheerios, mm-hmm. and instinctively I pulled my hand off it because I felt the burning. Mm-hmm. And that was a good uh, sense because I knew that I was in trouble. And if my sense of touch was damaged, then I could have really seriously done damage to my hand on that hot burner if I did not pull it off. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, guilt, legitimate guilt, is a, is a gift, mm-hmm. a mechanism from God. A healthy conscience is a gift from God. And so um, you may be listening this morning and you need to discern, is my guilt legitimate or is my guilt illegitimate? If you have admitted a sin to God, confessed it to him, then on the basis of his word, he's forgiven you by the shed blood of Christ. And any re-raising of that sin as a guilt or a shame isn't from God. It's from Satan. So you need to stand on the promise of God in 1 John 1, 9 and go forward believing God, not believing the voice in your head. Um, believe God. I like to say that uh, feelings for a Christian are a lousy engine for the Christian's train. Feelings are a great caboose, but facts are the engine for the Christian's thinking and living. And the facts are only found in Scripture. Mm -hmm. So when I battle illegitimate guilt, I have to go back to the verses that talk about God's forgiveness and at the major on the facts, and then my feelings will come in line. Just like when the engine of a train pulls the whole train, the caboose comes in line. Mm -hmm. So feelings for us Christians are better cabooses than they are engines. For more information about the Bahamas Godparent Center, you can contact them by phone at 698-4306. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. This is just before Jesus was betrayed and just after he had his last supper with his disciples. Matthew 26, 30. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The question is, what hymn did Jesus sing with his disciples as they left the upper room for the Mount of Olives? Well, according to well-established Jewish tradition of that time, the Hallel Psalms, namely Psalms 113, 
114, 115, 116, 117, and 118 were sung during the Passover meal. And the last psalm of those to be sung would have been Psalm 118. And the last verses of Psalm 118, verses 22 through 29, would have been the part of the hymn that they would have actually sung as they left that upper room to cross through the Kidron Valley to go to the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane, where our precious Savior was betrayed and arrested. And I just want to read for you Psalm 118 verses 22 through 29 so you can catch the significance of what these disciples along with their Lord sang in praise to God before Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Psalm 118, 22 to 29. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, and I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Our next question is found in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 5, referring to Judas Iscariot after he came under conviction and had extreme remorse for betraying Jesus to the cross. And he, Judas Iscariot, threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The question, did Judas die by hanging or by some other means? Matthew records that after attempting to return the money, he had received for betraying Jesus, Judas went away and hanged himself. Yet Luke's account, found in Acts chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, records that Judas plummeted into a ravine and died. Some suggest that uh, Judas attempted to hang himself, but the rope broke and he fell to his death. There is another possible interpretation of Judas's death. The Greek word which, was, which is translated hanged, may be also translated accurately strangled, as in the Greek translation of 2 Samuel 17.23. There we read that Halithophel committed suicide by strangling himself. Same word, strangling. Strangulation was a form of execution and a form of suicide in ancient times. Perhaps Judas strangled himself at the edge of a ravine and then fell to his death, as Luke records in Acts chapter 1, verse 18. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio 
at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.